Buried Treasure, a Dayton Pirate Podcast. So why don't you start by introducing yourself and your role in the district and maybe like your history prior to what you're doing now. Okay. I'm Tanya Hill and currently I'm a, an instructional coach at the grade school and I believe this is my 26th year in education. Oh wow. I worked six years in Woodburn, started off as the English transition program coordinator with knowing nothing about our emerging bilinguals oh. at all. Um, learned on the job Started every here day or in Woodburn with in that Woodburn title. With okay, that title. Gotcha. And do you have your Yale? I do now. Endorsement? Okay. Yes, I do now. Uh, These after are things f- you shouldn't tell me, because then I <laughs> <laughs> then I know <laughs> <laughs> that one's that 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 one I'm very proud of. Mm-hmm. I learned on the job for yeah. that that endorsement and um, worked with newcomers from Mexico and from the Ukraine. Oh wow! wow. Basically, didn't I, I didn't know anything how to work with emergent bilinguals, um, what to do, what not to do, what we should be working on. And so that was really good training to get that endorsement on my license. And Woodburn has a pretty high population of various mm-hmm. languages, right? There's Mostly multitude of languages there. Spanish and second language would be Russian and then okay. third language, mm. um, English. Right. Yep. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, moved here after six years, uh, got offered a job in McMinnville and here at the same time, and um, really grateful I took the job here because I didn't exactly know what the job would entail. I probably would have been doing a lot of English language development um, classes Mm -hmm. and not been able to have my own classroom. Gotcha. So I started doing literacy coaching, I would say, about five years after I came here. And so I was half and half. I shared a classroom. I've shared a classroom with three different people now. Um, first grade classroom, half literacy coach and half classroom teacher. And then I shared with John mm-hmm. Bixler here for yep. a few years. And then uh, Elise Schilling. Now, did you have um, some kind of like endorsement that uh, pairs with a literacy coach piece too or was that something that you were tapped to do so at that time we had some funds to pay for 20 of us to get a reading endorsement it was a k-12 initiative and 20 of us got a reading endorsement oh, wow. and it was wonderful and that created the opportunity to have yeah. a half-time literacy gotcha. coach gotcha okay <clears throat> and, and did we have full time for the last I don't know, seven, eight years. Did we have someone in that literacy coach before you took over that role? or was Not that? here. Okay. So then you've been doing literacy coach and like t- teacher mentor as well, right? That happened? So now I'm doing instructional coaching for not just literacy, but also the t- new teacher mentor. Mm-hmm. Mm, um, okay. And that's really gotten me into teacher's classrooms, which is where my heart is. Mm-hmm. If I'm not going to be working with kids on a daily basis, then I really want to be in the classrooms mm-hmm. working with their teachers. Mm-hmm. And that is definitely my passion now. Sure. Mm-hmm. Um, so I have so many questions. You talk about um, how much you learned as far as working with emerging bilingual students and what that work is, helping them acquire a language, especially if they're newcomers, and then also teaching reading to primary students, early literacy. Both those things are some of the most complex, hardest work in education, teaching a new language to a student Mm -hmm. and teaching them how to read. What are your 
like go-to tools and strategies that you have seen be effective in both those realms, working in the classroom with students yourself or helping others? First and foremost, because we have staff that speak the language of our emerging bilinguals, which is mostly Spanish, we have the opportunity to teach them to read in a language that they already understand. And that takes out 90% of the challenge because the students come in already knowing language, Mm -hmm. just like our English-only students do. And we have uh, kindergarten, first and second grade students who come in learning um, English who are already Spanish speakers. They get to learn in Spanish first. And so it actually happens very naturally for most of our students if we do a great job with instruction. The students um, in about third grade have enough oral English skills through all of their other subjects that they're taking in English and enough literacy skills in Spanish that they already know how to read English without even taking having a reading group necessarily in English. And that's really clearly backed by research too, the learning to read and speak and write in your first language. And and the research Mm -hmm. actually says is if the longer we keep them in their first yep. language, Absolutely. the better they do mm-hmm. long-term, more success on standardized tests, but in general, more success sure. in being a bilingual yep. person in life. Gotcha. And so with um, teaching little kids, how to, like I would say that's my blind spot as an educator um, because I was an intermediate teacher, like fourth and fifth grade. And I would struggle if I got a kid that was in mm-hmm. a, like a level eight or six or, you know, whatever mm-hmm. it was. I just didn't know how to leverage that um, skill set in uh, with a sense of urgency, <laughs> you know what I mean, that was mm-hmm. needed to help them grow. So, what are what would you say are the 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 most important things to focus on and instruct in the, our younger kids when learning how to read? I think use what they already have in their oral language, mm-hmm. whether it's a fourth, fifth, tenth grader. Uh, most of our students come in um, already knowing some English, already knowing. Um, how to get by, I guess. Sure. Um, and so really getting to know them in their language as well as bringing in uh, some of their family life, their cultural life, and starting with where they are. Oftentimes we get stuck in knowing where we want them to go, mm-hmm. knowing what we want them to learn, and that trajectory is too... Like rigid. It, it is, it, and it's it's too quick in the sense that anybody learns something better if you chunk it out yep. and learn just a little bit at a time. You'll go faster than if mm-hmm. you are presented with something that is way too um, yep. fast or high of your of your level. And I think that I I mean, there's a lot of new research that's coming out that is kind of contrary to what we've thought about literacy for a long time. And it's that that pendulum is swinging back to that using, you know, reading and writing as a vehicle to connect them to something else content wise that is important to them or matters to them. And I think for a long time we did a lot of drill and kill in the in terms of reading and writing, Mm -hmm. like give kids the skills and then hopefully when they have the skills, they can use them for something they're interested in. Whereas really finding, you know, ways for them to connect to the content first and foremost. And then there's that that hook for getting them to understand the The skill. drive, mm-hmm. the motivation. Yeah. I think we're seeing that in our new reading curriculum okay. at the grade school. Good. It is a shift. Mm-hmm. It is a complete mind shift in the sense that our last few curriculum were really focused on um, 
making sure kids knew how to do all the things of reading. Yep. Retell the story, find the cause and effect, all those and no one reads really that way. abstract <laughs> things that <laughs> when you and I sit down to read a magazine, a book, go to yeah. a book club, we don't talk about those no. things. We talk mm. about what was the book about? Yeah. Right. What make, we make meaning you learn? From it. Exactly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So now, you know, anytime teachers are um, learning something new, a different strategy, a different way to do, we're in this ourselves in this learning spot Mm -hmm. where it's uncomfortable and we don't know exactly what the next step Mm -hmm. is. We don't trust it yet. Mm -hmm. Um, And I am okay not trusting a program. Mm -hmm. But like you said, this kind of new research and things coming out, it's important that we dip our toes into these new things. And and anytime you get students talking about real stuff, Mm -hmm. life, subjects, content, it's Mm -hmm. gonna be way more um, motivation for reading than talking about cause and effect and yeah. um, a retelling of a story. Yeah, or I would I would not want to read if after everything I read, someone was like, find the six examples of figurative language. Exactly. And, you know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. I've, yes. I'm over yes. it. I don't want to. I want to talk about yeah. what the content was. Mm-hmm. I want to be, yeah, yeah have a discussion. Reading 120 that. words per minute. Like, yeah. wait, wait a <laughs> the second. timing you. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, mm-hmm. we don't read that way in real life. I think, you know, I started teaching right when No Child Left Behind came out mm-hmm. in the Bush era. And that's when all the standardized testing and the real emphasis on reading and math and science. Um, and I watched slowly as the arts and social studies and all these things were pulled slowly out of the curriculum, either intentionally or not, um, because educators and schools and administrators felt pressured to meet these benchmarks. And as these you know enriching topics were pulled out, then you lost the real meat, you know, why people read and write in the first place. You know, mm-hmm. they, they read and write about things that mm-hmm. are important to the world. And so I do think, I mean, just for anyone listening, my personal philosophy and what I think research supports is that, you know, that the content um, is, is crucial to have as the context through which we practice our reading and writing. One of the things I really love about the grade school's English language development classes, which every student who who is emerging bilingual has to have that. Mm -hmm. We have to have a certain number of minutes per day, per week. Um, We do those through science and social studies. And to study language through something, like Mm -hmm. you said, that is interesting and relevant um, can help people acquire language faster. Absolutely. Because it's more interesting. Mm -hmm. Yeah, there's a purpose to it. So you've taught... A wide range of grade levels and a wide range of abilities in those grade levels with split classrooms and then emerging readers in first grade. What are some skills that would transfer between a first grade early literacy teacher to a fourth grade uh, split level teacher? I think the skills that transfer as a reader mm-hmm. are, for one, if you love to read you are going to seek it out. You're going to seek books out. You're going to ask for things. And I think that is something that we are still learning how to instill Mm -hmm. in first graders, in fourth graders, um, to celebrate what reading is, what it can do for you, where it can take you. The art of reading. Yes, absolutely. Um, And I, I think that's the biggest skill transfer. I think there are so many reading things, spelling things, and um, decoding things, and using phonics, absolutely kids can't access the meaningful and want to, the meaningful things about reading if they can't do those things. So there has to be some kind of structure in which we 
at first teach kids to read, but if they're only learning structure and not instilling that sense of wonder, um, then we're doing we're not doing justice by them. And that, so when you say that, it just makes me think how complicated teaching is. It really is an art form because, like, you have these thirty different individuals all with different interests, <laughs> you know, and different capabilities, and somehow we're supposed to find something that they're interested in and then also build their skills and give them feedback on their skills. And find a schema to relate to. Okay, yeah, remember, exactly. remember how you do this and relate <laughs> it's to really it. It's really hard. That, that comes to the passion that I have about this job mm-hmm. because it is a puzzle for all of us. Yeah. And to walk next to teachers to be able to help them figure that mm-hmm. out for themselves in their own classrooms is the joy of my job. Mm-hmm. And And yes, we have a direction, we have a vision, but this mentor teaching instructional coach piece is really how are you doing in your classroom Mm -hmm. where are you how are you doing with all these daily decisions that you have to make um uh, under the system we have and where do you want to go from here yeah i love that part of my job where do you find you spent not like in whose classroom but what do you spend the most time helping teachers with or working alongside them to accomplish Gosh, it, I would say behavior is the number one yeah. uh, thing that's on teachers' minds yeah. and how to um, manage behavior in a way that makes learning the number one thing that happens in a classroom. And yet, when we talk about behavior, we can't not talk about how, what are your lesson plans like? Right. Absolutely. Are they engaging? Mm-hmm. What are the kids doing? Um, are they doing a lot of listening or do they get to do the talking? So it how are your transitions all your comes proximity? together, yeah, all the mm-hmm. things. Mm-hmm. No, that makes a lot of that makes a lot of sense. And I think that that's something that uh, educators are I don't want to say struggling with, but it's what probably is a topic of conversation around the nation right now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> do you mm-hmm. know what I mean? Just yes. timing yeah. wise in our country, too, and what students have gone through the last handful of years and yes. the lagging skills that exist as a result, maybe. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I was an instructional coach as well for part of my career. And I just remember um, teaching can be a really isolating profession. And so I think a lot of teachers, unless there's a system that gets them out of their classroom into other classrooms, they just assume people teach like them. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and I think especially like the middle school and high school level, how jarring it can be for students to have to navigate all the different styles and structures and, you know, some some teachers, um, you know, promote a lot of independence and give a lot of freedom in their class. And some teachers are very structured mm-hmm. and have, you know, more rigid routines and um, really have, you know, students navigating. There's there's a, a real benefit to having them have to navigate, but there's also, um, you know, a need for us to kind of align and, and know what's happening in other classrooms. Mm-hmm. And uh, did you find that um, it was surprising when you left the classroom to get into other teachers' classrooms, like the range of skill sets and the range of styles that you... I'm still surprised yeah. every day. <laughs> and really, it's really a mindset as well. Yeah. Um, when teachers start this profession, um, the people that I see make the most growth and have the most joy in their job are the ones who are always asking themselves, huh, how did that go? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Reflecting. What can I do tomorrow to mm-hmm. make this go better? Um, People who I see have the most trouble sometimes are the ones who say, oh, look what the kids did. It's just did. that group of kids. Oh, They're just yeah. not going to yes, be able to succeed. Yes, yes. And there's always that. I tell you, um, I've had 
we've all had challenging mm-hmm. students with behaviors and these are humans you know mm-hmm. we're they're all just little humans and um and and that is true and when we focus on the things that we can change and sure. tweak and make better then then often it does and it's so much easier with a team and mm-hmm. a partner Absolutely. and people who are patient and people who support you so what is teaming done when it's done well what does that look like because i've been a part of teams that go through the motions mm-hmm. like we get out the data we look at it we write the things on the spreadsheet and then we go mm-hmm. back to our classrooms and do what we we're going to do anyway mm-hmm. and i've been on teams that really there's a synergy that doesn't exist when we're alone that we're able to tap into that really creates this momentum do you mean like from a team teaching point of view or from a, a from just, teaching team point of view? Just having people in your corner to help you mm-hmm. in the profession, whether it's a grade level team or a team that's formed more organically. What I've seen with teams that um, are successful and are able to have more progress for their kids learning, it's because they share responsibility. Not one person feels like it's all on them. And at the same time, they all feel like it's all on them. Gotcha. So they can um, feel responsible for what's going on in my classroom, but all, also feel like they have a say and and um, uh, and important important ideas that they get to share with their team um, that will be listened to, mm-hmm. that will be tried. It's all about trying things yeah. and mm-hmm. talking about if they work or not. And then, what I really feel with teams. Um, who aren't having this progress is there's a lot of fear of failure. Mm. Mm. And the teams that work well together, they laugh at their failures. There's so much laughing. There's so much laughing at, look what I tried, Mm -hmm. look what happened, Mm -hmm. um, and to move forward together on those things. We underestimate the importance of joy in schools on both the part of staff and students. Like if you find me a class that's not joyful, I'll find you a class where there's not a lot of learning happening. You know? So... What's some advice that you would give new teachers coming into the profession to create that joy, to create that growth mindset and willingness to keep trying? I'd say um, I have an article that I give new teachers every year. Um, Seek out your marigolds. Marigolds are known to be a plant, a companion plant when gardening. Mm -hmm. I'm not a gardener, but I know this part. (laughs) That protect certain plants from... um, bugs protect certain plants from other things so that the the vegetables can grow and keep making relationships to be able to find your marigolds and know who to go to when you need that um somebody around you to help to help you grow and that's someone that's new Mm -hmm. um that's also someone that's been in the profession for 25 years um to find your people that you can feel comfortable around and Telling the truth, telling what really happened and not having to protect, uh, just being vulnerable with, yep. not having to protect mm-hmm. the the shame that we all feel when we fail and being able to um, share those moments because we all have them. It's such a highly personal profession when people talk about how challenging it is to give educators feedback and for us to take feedback as educators. It's, I liken it to parenting. Like if someone criticizes your parenting, it it's like a Ooh. dagger in the heart. You know what I mean? Yeah. It hits hard. And I think that's the same when you're tasked with raising, helping raise and grow these people's children. Like mm-hmm. to to think you're not doing the best you can at it, um, it's hard not to take it personally. Well, so, it, sound, it sounds like Tanya's saying build a community too. Yeah. So like you can't be there by yourself to raise to raise or teach a yeah. kid by yourself. Right. There, there's a community of us around you to support. Mm-hmm. Yeah. How do you give the feedback that's harder to hear? 
I know your job isn't to do that necessarily like a supervisor's would, but I'm sure at times you have to say, you know, help a teacher reflect on something that wasn't effective. First, I have to have a relationship with that person. Um, and sometimes those are deeper relationships than other times. And the deeper that we go, the more honest I can be. Mm-hmm. Um, I do think that somebody hears feedback when they've also walked in those shoes yeah. and they share when they've walked in those shoes and, and how tough it can be. Um, I do, though, think that educators, especially in grade school, I don't know about middle school and high school, but we we worry about sharing what is going well mm. and we worry about giving feedback to others when we know if they just did this one thing I think it would go better mm-hmm. and we don't share enough why is that there's definitely why a personality that? type I will say this like I've now worked at the elementary middle and high school levels and there is a distinct personality that all levels have uh, granted there's outliers mm-hmm. but certainly um I would say and don't get mad at me for stereotyping here but my in my experience the 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 grade school teachers being kind of like rule followers and that's something that I've experienced for the most part and I don't know that I was one of them when I was a grade school teacher Mm -hmm. but uh definitely like um gonna follow whatever system's given for the most part and not usurp that and then you know I think that you know secondary staff can be known for being a little more spicy and pushback sometimes on some of the things and and you know both of those qualities have you know positives and negatives when you're working in teams or when Mm -hmm. you're trying to move systems Mm -hmm. forward but it makes me wonder if we've conditioned grade school teachers to not you know how embrace that culture of failing forward Mm -hmm. you know what I mean like feeling like you have to be doing things well all the time and not being able to experiment and be vulnerable with what you know isn't going well I think that can be tricky very tricky it is so close to uh, the age difference is so huge and you you go into your classroom thinking for lack of better terms you can control it Mm -hmm. and when you can't when things go awry when you know you're not teaching them as much as you could there there is that um that fear of not performing the way you I let a nine-year-old get the best of me. (laughs) That's harder than I let a a seven-year-old get the best of me. And it's not for a lack of, like, people are working their tails off every day, doing everything they can. So, yes, I am coach in title, but I would love to empower Mm -hmm. all team members at all times to walk alongside somebody, and especially Mm -hmm. even if we say, would you like some advice? Yeah. Like, that's, that's huge. Would you... Because then they can say yes, and then that gives you the freedom to say, sure. okay, here's what I think. Yeah. Um, I, w- I would love that. Well, how do we how do we get the doors to classrooms open? And I guess I'm talking metaphorically, like get people in each other's classrooms. There's It's hard at certain levels, and it's hard with certain bell schedules to make that happen. But I think it's, I mean, it's a game changer for when we're looking at the whole system and learning from each other. Um. I will quote, semi-quote Robin, mm-hmm. my first meeting with her. Um, she, I was talking about, I don't even know what we were talking about. And she said, and I was like, oh, yeah, we probably should do that in a few months. And she's like, well, what would that look like if we started next week? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I loved it. Yeah. And and honestly, we just do it. Yeah. We just start mm-hmm. and at the same time, recognize the uncomfortable. Sure. Mm-hmm. Recognize we're all learning. Just lean into it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And and we just start, I think that I have that quote on my board, mm-hmm. Amelia Earhart, something about 
the best way to do something is to just yep. do it. And Robin's really good, way better than me at keeping her eye on the prize and that staying focused on the instruction and the teaching and learning. Do you know what I mean? Because there's so much noise that happens so in much district noise every day. And I can get mm-hmm. pulled way down those rabbit holes, mm-hmm. you know, of legal issues or of mm-hmm. parent complaints or whatever it is. And yes. Robin's good at saying, when are we going to get into those classrooms? Let's mm-hmm. go. Like, put down your cell phone and let's get in the classes. So what gives you hope for teaching? It can be sometimes emotionally draining, mm-hmm. but you've been doing this for a long time. So what, what keeps you pushing? That's a good question. The people that are passionate about doing this work for kids. Mm-hmm. Uh, all these staff members love kids, and they want to see them do well, and they want to see them learn and grow and and become people who are learning and growing for the rest of their lives mm-hmm. and now that's what keeps me going i mean i i love kids the summer is yeah. when i love my job the most at the grocery store when yeah. i you know yeah. i see them and i just i'm drawn to children that is first and foremost but the adults that are coming give me hope and especially the new newer teachers are coming with this wide sense of equity and mm-hmm. what needs to be done for all children mm-hmm. and um, nothing like my schooling, nothing mm-hmm. like um, 30 years ago and and how, yes, we want to teach all children, but they have ways and ideas and, and things they notice that, that aren't okay yeah. that that will change the system yeah. so, so that we can um, really meet the needs of all diverse learners. Is Dayton ready for these changes? Like I said, the way to be ready is to start. <laughs> oh, good one, Tanya. I like it. I like it. I think, like anything, come al- coming alongside people mm-hmm. and answering their questions and giving people opportunities to answer, ask questions is huge mm-hmm. in, in that sense. Um, we do have a long ways to go, mm-hmm. and I believe we can get there and there are some fantastic leaders in that area already that work here already that live in this community Mm -hmm. Um, and I think it's just bringing their voice to the table so what is Dayton known for would you say so and I'm I'm thinking grade school wise Mm. Uh, Dayton does great job with tough kids Mm. Uh, as a parent if I had um, some if I would have had kiddos who needed extra support uh, in behavior-wise especially, this is where they mm. would have been. They ended up in McMinnville because I wanted them to be bilingual, and mm-hmm. they are, and we didn't have that here for them. But yeah. um, Dayton does good things for, for tough kids, and it's a uh, family atmosphere, and it's mm-hmm. at its best and at its worst. Yeah, yeah, that's great. And what what do you feel like the next steps are? What what do kids need most from their education here? And I know we're going to go through this journey of unpacking this together, but just your initial, you know, knee-jerk feeling about where they're at and what they need, what would you say? I think kids need to know that there are different ways of doing things mm. so that they know that um, wherever they've come from, positive, not so positive, that there are other ways of mm-hmm. doing things, other ways of learning, other ways of parenting, solving other ways problems, of being yeah. in the mm-hmm. community, solving problems, absolutely. Mm-hmm. And I think that's our job, mm-hmm. is to provide this 
these multiple perspectives and multiple ways of um, problem solves and being and that it's their choice. Yeah. They get to choose. So they, they don't feel some agency over their lives. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Not that they're stuck in whatever mm-hmm. pattern they are, you know, familiar with. No, that's a, that's a really fascinating way to put it. I like that. What would you say you're known for in this district or outside? I think that um, definitely for being emotionally passionate. At I first time I met you, I was like, we're going to have some healthy conflict and we're just going to keep emotion out of it. And you're like, wait, hold on. I cry. Yeah. <laughs> like, I do. That kind of emotion's okay. I do. Mm-hmm. Crying is kind of like my smile. My tears are kind of like my, my smile. And um, I do get passionate and I'm not afraid to have those conversations. And I love being in a relationship with people. So I have those t- tough conversations with a lot of people, mm-hmm. um, especially my closest people. Right. Um and we can rumble, we mm-hmm. can go back and forth and disagree and still come out of it knowing that you want the best for kids and people mm-hmm. and humans and staff and I want the best. Yep. And um, and to be able to trust others to know that about me is really important. Um, I think I'm a helper, I support. I want to accept all ages of people right where they are mm. and give them value and uh, grace and definitely dignity yeah. no matter no matter what is going on yeah mm-hmm. no matter where what do you from. wish the public knew about our school system or the people in it i wish that they knew that we are in it both for their child and their child's particular needs as well as the needs of all children Mm -hmm. and that sometimes it looks very different for each of the students and sometimes our society is not setting up certain groups of students as best as they could and it's important for us to make sure and um, do some things at schools that make sure that people are more on a level playing field Mm. Mm-hmm. Um, and that takes a lot of conversations, but we are absolutely for their child and we're for mm-hmm. all children. Mm-hmm. You said valuing multiple perspectives as being one of the most important things for kids to learn. How do kids learn that? I think it's the same way that adults do. If if we give them time to have conversations, read books about um, different perspectives, different um <laughs> I could say color, I could say mm-hmm. race, I could say orientation, I could mm-hmm. say gender, I could say family dynamics, I could say poverty, like all the things, Yeah, all the things. If we give space and time for kids to read about, learn about, talk to mm-hmm. people, um, underneath the stories are very similar. Yeah. And so to be able to um, have those conversations and lessons within mm-hmm. all of the... Absolutely. Content areas um, is is the mm-hmm. way to do that. And there's, um, you know, I always come back to, because I'm a super big picture person, I'm not the ones and zeros person, but I always come back to this question of what is school for, right? And you talked about obviously helping each individual child be as successful as possible, but I'm also what's called a social reconstructionist, reconstructivist, constructionist. I don't know what the, what the word is, but in that I believe one of the main purposes of school is to create the kind of society that we eventually want to exist mm-hmm. for mm-hmm. our kids and future generations. When I you talk about that. multiple perspectives, 
it's that that's such a crucial component to creating a society where there's peace and where people Mm -hmm. can function together do you know what i mean as Mm -hmm. as engaged citizens who are um are willing to learn and unlearn i think that skill of unlearning Mm -hmm. is one that we Mm -hmm. we don't do well and we don't teach it well i'm not saying we as a dayton but just in general Mm -hmm. humans (laughs) we don't unlearn things very well and we we don't value unlearning in school whereas like as someone surfaces, I used to think this, but now I think this. That's mm-hmm. where the celebration is, yes. right? It's yes. not just in learning something new, but it's in unlearning mindsets or habits that don't serve you and mm-hmm. don't serve others. And I that's worry it. that we don't Probably. think it's okay to be wrong. It's like, yeah. no, it's, or to change our it's, opinion. A, it's okay to change our opinion. That would be a great book title. Yeah. Let's <laughs> get on it. <laughs> you have time to write a like children's that. book, don't you? Yeah, that's a great idea. Yeah. So I, I just think about, you know, if we could create a a generation of adults when they leave here that are able to rethink their positions on things or even suspend their judgment or opinions until yes. they gather information. Like mm-hmm. that's that's something that we're struggling as adults in society right now. We have a hard time with that. We mm-hmm. we find our ideology, we find our quote unquote people and we just sit ourselves down in this echo chamber and then whatever we hear coming our way, we take as, do you know what I mean? Fact yes. and and we don't budge from there. And I feel like that's done such a disservice to our communities and our kids when we model that type of, um, well, what's the opposite of critical thinking? I mean. Close-mindedness. Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. exactly. So. And in the classroom, that really looks like just asking questions. Mm-hmm. I, I wonder questions. Yep. It's, mm-hmm. well, I wonder if that is what they're thinking. I mm-hmm. wonder if that is this person's perspective. And even, even the contemplation of there is a different possibility of what mm-hmm. what your idea of what happened is and that's everyday playground issues sure. that's yeah that's all lots of places conflict to practice management that. Mm-hmm. um that yes lots of places to practice mm-hmm. that yeah yeah i think there's been a lot of times in my in this field where i've had i've thought i've known the best way to do something and then i've had to oh gosh crow a little oh, bit yes. like well that oh, yes. was yeah. wrong yeah. absolutely well, <laughs> even in teaching it's like that there's a great lesson plan and then you yeah. have this whole thing whoa, whoa, planned whoa. out and was, nope that was terrible <laughs> i was wrong that's right that's right <laughs> yep i remember teaching uh, i think it was fourth grade and kathy fowler my principal at the time walked in the classroom and that's when i said nope out. <laughs> you are not going to see this. This is not going well. Not a good lesson. I had an awesome teacher and walked out. Um, tell me that the other day, too. I came in to videotape a reading lesson for her partner teacher, and I had, uh, you know, emailed and asked and all that and didn't get a response, so I thought I'd go in and do it, and that's, that is exactly what she said. Not today. I want you to see something excellent, and I so appreciate yep. that, and I said, I want your partner to see that we're not all perfect and she doesn't well, have to be either. Yeah. And I love that that we are all so wired to do well by our children yep. mm-hmm. and our community That's a great way to put and, it. and each other. Mm-hmm. Um, and I love that drive and I want that to continue to be there with a little more it's okay when I don't mm-hmm. have it. Yeah. Because yeah. my kids can still learn when I'm when no. I don't well, have it. Well, and you just think about how on you have to be oh my when gosh. you're working Every with I mean, lesson. it's just it's a constant yes. feeling of hypervigilance and it's like I by the time I get home and I'm taking care of my two teenagers, like I think about how many not proud moments I have <laughs> behind closed <laughs> doors with them. And yes. and it's the same exhaustion, if not magnified in a classroom because there's so many of them and mm-hmm. you're dealing with, like you said, imperfect humans and mm-hmm. we're imperfect mm-hmm. humans. And mm-hmm. that 
that just is, it's a, it's a lot. It takes a toll. Right. Yeah. We strive for perfection, but not every lesson can be Disneyland. That's a yeah. phrase I learned early on. Yeah. I like that. Yeah. Yep. Absolutely. Well, is there anything else that you want to share with us while you're here? I just appreciate um, where we're going and appreciate the conversations that have been happening. Um, I see hope in staff. Mm-hmm. Um, it's hard work and we're not fully staffed yet. And that's really hard. Um, so if anybody knows good people, send them our way. But um, it is, this work is crucial. Mm-hmm. This is the work we should be paying people millions for because yeah. this is the work that Amen. really, really matters. And if you remember at our first district leadership team meeting, I tasked our TOSAs, which are teachers on special assignments, with the job of holding us accountable as administrators because you guys are in the weeds of the work with staff and students and you know better than I will know, better than the building administrators even will know what's working and what's not. So when we, you know, we talked about that healthy conflict, you talked about rumbling and I know that we all need to get to know each other better over time to develop that trust, but that's where trust happens is when you can go into those conversations rumble and come out the other side better mm-hmm. at you know for it so i appreciate you being willing to be the person that holds us accountable on our end too because we need to know when things aren't working you know it, the fault of a coach sometimes is that you're never satisfied yeah <laughs> and uh and my own children feel that big time yeah. and um but i've also learned that to walk alongside somebody is to celebrate where they are and go the next yep. step so yep. That's the, the mm-hmm. profession we're in, right? That's the mm-hmm. whole point. Mm-hmm. Well, thanks okay. for joining us today. That conversation, that went real, that 45 minutes went real fast. Yeah. 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 You're a wealth of knowledge. Way more fun than I thought it was going to be. <laughs> oh, Thank easy, you. easy stuff. Easy stuff. <laughs> we're stuff. not scary, right? No, no, no. Thank you for listening to Buried Treasure, a Dayton Pirate Podcast. Join us next time as we interview more friends of the Dayton School District.